This week on a podcast from beneath, we are talking to writer, director, and producer David Black. They're coming to get you, Barbara. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. The unburied dead are coming back to life. David, how's it going? Oh, fantastic. And how's it going with you guys? Uh, it's going, I guess, depending. You know. <laughs> I, I'm doing I good. Work, yeah, I, I, work, I work at Walmart, so yeah. I spent eight hours there. It's, I'm lucky to make it home. <laughs> now, tell me, did you hear your favorite song? They played, it, they about played it twice. They played it twice. Awesome. <laughs> you got to get that John Cougar in there yeah. every day. <laughs> So uh, the first question we give uh, every guest on here, what is your favorite horror movie? Oh, good. I always give a different answer every time I've asked for it. <laughs> There's so that. many. But right in my head at the moment is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, yeah. Great movie. Great movie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> there are just I love so that many, movie. There are so many clown movies coming out at the moment, and some of them being reissued on uh, DVD that I've just got uh, the, the Dickies theme song going through my head. And, <laughs> oh, just remembering that how and why that film blew me away. It, it is, uh, you know, it is a cult classic. I love that movie. I mean, it's, it's goofy, it's silly, but, I mean, it just holds a special place in, you know, a lot of people's hearts, man. It's just a great movie. I probably look at it from a different angle being a filmmaker. And the first one that gets me is how many different clown things these people thought of. Oh, then, man. Yeah, it, it's a hard-hitting film, just bang, 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 one skit after another. And they just think of everything from, uh, you know, shadow puppets and uh, it, a lot. And I thought, if I sat down and I had to uh, write that film, could I think of all of those things? And then the next thing is taking each thing and working it through to actually being in a gag that fits in with the storyline. And then the third thing is bringing it to life with uh, animatronics and puppets and everything. Mm -hmm. And I think this, this is something that I've got to aim at. I'm nowhere near it. I mean, I managed to carry the films, but we don't have budgets like that. But Everybody complains about budget. The thing that they've really got happening is somebody or a team really thought this movie out for the oh, things yeah. that happened from clown cars, pie fights, <laughs> popcorn. I mean, if the average uh, movie viewer, once they've gotten over that impact of um, being absorbed into the film, went back and watched the film and said, right, this is actually what went into it. I mean, maybe that was easier in the days of DVD when you got all of the extras and they started showing you behind the scenes and having people talk about each unit. But I, I've got a feeling that we're now in the days of VOD and you quickly shove on a movie, you stop it anywhere you want because you're watching it on your own, not in the family lounge room, not at the cinema. And by the end of the film, you're ready to click the button to watch the next one, you know, in a binge-watching fashion. Yeah, you yeah, don't I really love, get to take things in. I, I hear you. I love behind-the-scenes featurettes on DVDs oh, yeah. and uh, director commentary. I love all that stuff. 
Same. Yeah, I live for it. Uh, I, I still have all my DVDs. And you know what I find? Instead of going through the DVDs, I about, um, I've got three boxes in the cupboard that I never unpacked. But instead of going through them to look for something, it's easy to Google it and just go watch it online. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all guilty of that one. <laughs> so how, how did you get started in filmmaking? I sort of started without knowing that I started. It sounds like, well, I was in a band called Darkness Visible and uh, I realised that we did have to do a music video and uh, I got a student, um, a few a few friends, um, one was an animator, one was a student and I got them to make the first music video. So I was following up with a music video every year and I got to 10 music videos. Um, it was only before the last music video that um, someone had invited me onto their uh, horror movie set. Uh, I hope that sound didn't come out. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. yeah. So um, a friend called Mark Bakaitis invited me onto his horror movie set called Cult Girls, which is about to come out. It's only just been held off because of the uh, lockdowns. I knew Mark from being in a band because Darkness Visible had to organise their own gigs like other bands and we organised extravaganzas. So we had to book uh, two bands, but we'd book um, three carny shows, usually two burlesque girls and a sword swallower. And uh, we made them big events with lots of props. So I didn't know Mark was well known for filmmaking and that was his main thing. I get on to Cult Girls and suddenly I'm on a film set rather than a music video set. And I'm looking at the size of the cameras, the lights on stands, 30 foot tall, an armorer with real AK-47s with blanks and everything. <laughs> and I'm going, what the hell? And I start meeting these people and start being invited onto sets. And these sort of sets were different to my old ones. My old ones for like nine music videos, the, um, the DOP would um, tell me what they needed. I mean, I'd already give them some sort of script. I'd go off and I'd do what a producer does without knowing that that was the correct term. So I'd go and I'd get the venue, I'd get props ready, I'd get uh, extras, actors, um, I'd get everything ready like a producer does. But I didn't know that's what a producer does. I didn't know the person who was doing the shot list with the camera was the uh, DOP, the one that got that crew. I didn't know any of that. But going on to a set that was a film set means suddenly I'm learning all of the terminologies, meeting these people, getting onto sets. I went on to, in the space of a month, I was on six sets. And my curiosity was, can I actually make a film? And uh, because I was going to uh, short movie nights, I mean, I made contacts on this set and they told me, hey, there are these uh, movie nights, you know, at, at pubs where the short filmmakers show um, their films. So I'm there suddenly um, at these nights amongst filmmakers, actors. It's a whole different scene to the, uh, to the, uh, the whole uh, rock and roll industry. And I wondered, could I make a film? And we did. We made a horror film. <laughs> the people that had the venue for the short film nights, it was mainly a band venue. So I actually knew them because the, the band had done, the band was no longer gigging by this stage, but the, um, the band had probably done 20 um, gigs at this little venue. And uh, the guy running the film night knew that I had a lot of um, experience in getting bums on seats because that's what, actor, that, that's what uh, bands have to do. 
And it's a skill that filmmakers don't have. And the guy said to me, I think we're going to have to wrap the film night up. First uh, time we ran, we had X number of people. The second time we ran, we had half. Tonight, we've got a third. I said, what can we do? And I said, every time I go on a, a zombie movie, they've got a thousand extras. Let's make a zombie movie. And I had no idea what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> well, one of the ladies that ran the night was called Dia Taylor. And she, she's actually um, as prolific in making films as myself. I mean, it's me nowadays. Uh, but whereas I'm making a film, a short film every month, this is before that. She does the same and she said, I'll help you direct it. And I did, I'd never directed. She said, I'll help you get it together. And um, three camera people from uh, that place came together and said they'd help. And I brought in a couple of camera people that I'd worked with on maybe five music videos. So we had a team. Next thing uh, they said, oh, we've got to have a production meeting. And I'm going, really? What's that for? You know? <laughs> I'd, I'd written a script that uh, anyone would die if they saw it. It just said, patrons in a bar, uh, zombies attack, uh, lots of lots of killing and carnage, and then aftermath. That was it. <laughs> so I go along to this uh, production meeting, which she insisted on, so I'm suddenly sitting there in a production meeting. And uh, I'm listening to the talk and hearing what everybody's saying and absorbing it. And as I'm with that uh, new film that I'm making and on the sets, maybe seven or eight before that, I'd uh, talk to everyone uh, behind the scenes and they would actually teach me what they were doing. So bit by bit through doing, I became a filmmaker. And nowadays, uh, three of my main uh, people that I work with, one's Glenn Cook, He's often in there, um, in there acting, but he's my gaffer. Another one's Vixie Tay. She's uh, usually one of my actors. And another one is Anastasia Kalukas, who's also an actor. They've all got their diplomas in cinematography. So wow. that by having them, uh, by working with them for the last three or four years, because they're all on that zombie movie, yeah, that, that one that we created um, at, uh, at a film night. By working with them, I'm all, if I don't know something, well, which is often, <laughs> I am messaging Glenn. I'm saying, right, because nowadays I script properly or close to. <laughs> I'm saying, Glenn, here's the film I'm working on. And if I've forgotten something, he's telling me. Uh, same with Anastasia, same with Vixie. And once we're on a set, because they're indie sets, although they're actors, uh, if Anastasia's finished a scene, she can uh, pick up the boomstick and uh, and do audio if that turns out to be needed. They they can swap all of the jobs around amongst themselves if there's ever any shortfall. And you know, talking to these different independent directors, we've had the pleasure of talking to them, and it's like it's like a little village, man. I mean, somebody does something, they'll be in the movie, but then they do something else, and it just, you know, it has to come together like that. It's like you wear many, many hats, I guess you could say. Oh, yeah. Um, I always did on the music videos anyway. The only difference is I didn't know what the terms were. Yeah. Nowadays, <laughs> nowadays, I know the terms and I, I can put together, um, I can organize a short film shoot in record time. And you've seen them. They're come, 
those films are being shown um, as they come out on TV across the United States. And nowadays, for the first time in Australia, so I'm now being shown on Channel 44 in Adelaide and Channel 31 in Melbourne. But uh, yeah, they, they get shown on uh, a mixture of broadcast and cable uh, on, um, I'm not sure how many uh, channels because they go onto other people's shows and that person might have 15 channels they're going out on this week. And by the time I'm on, they might have 30 and then they're down to 25 but they're showing on TV. They've also, until the lockdown, been shown as the shorts before the mains at Film Scene in Iowa and Roxy 14 in California and Haraby Community Centre, which is actually a big theatre. Um, I got the name of the organisation wrong. I forgot the name of the organisation, but got <laughs> the uh, venue correct. But uh, yeah, across England and across America, we're being shown Man. as the shorts. So these are up to scratch. Now I was looking through your through your information movie database, and you have like, way too many credits to even start mentioning. <laughs> but I'm what do you guy. what do you like about making short films as opposed to the full feature? Full well, we are ma- we are making a feature at the moment. Yeah, is it the um, toxic? Uh, hold on, hold on. I <laughs> toxic alien zombie babes from outer space. Is that the one? That's it. Now, the short films, in a way, I I don't think like everybody else, like you're making a short film as uh, a proof of concept for the feature or that uh, you're making short films and you'll build up to later on making the features. But with that latter part, that actually is what was happening. So we did have a feature that is shot called uh, Badass Bunyip. And uh, that was uh, to come out. But I had a bit of trouble with the main actress and didn't want her in it anymore. So we needed to uh, <laughs> refilm um, those scenes. Those scenes were also buggered up because of me, because there was a beer swilling scene. And I didn't realise that when I went to really chug the beer, I forgot about the mic, the lapel mic. So <laughs> we, en- we ended up, we were going to have to redo the sound or reshoot anyway. And uh, we were going to do that on the Easter long weekend with Anastasia now as the uh, main female character in Badass Bunyip. And that was the weekend we went into lockdown. So uh, that, that one got held up. It should have been out Christmas time last year. So I did build up to that. Um, then we had problems. Then uh, we didn't get to shoot. So um, a lot of shorts were coming out during Um, this lockdown, because I had a lot that hadn't been edited, plus we did do one specifically for lockdown. So it looked a lot like I'm just going to be making shorts forever. But um, that last one that we did in lockdown inspired me to do the feature. I don't know if you've noticed, most people that have put out a lockdown film, uh, I don't want to say negative things, but there's no way around it. Fact is, a lot of them are just talking heads and Zoom footage. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got it. I guess you got to, you know, work with what you get. I mean, yeah, I I have noticed a couple of those that came out. Well, our lockdown um, short film, the one we did in lockdown, wasn't like that at all. Um, It had been written before lockdown or just uh, when things were really mild, where we could get at least four actors together. We're actually in a lockdown. You cannot get four actors in a room. You certainly can't have a crew or anything. And I'd handed the script to Gerardo. And uh, I only had to, with the iPhone, 
film myself, um, just the mouth, which I did all the makeup, put the. And you're talking in. about clink clink clunk, right? Uh, I watched that. Yeah, one. yeah, I Does really it, enjoyed that. Gerardo somehow managed to keep roughly within the script. I told him, "Look, you can throw the script out. There's no <laughs> way we can get four actors together." Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that? He went out and filmed himself instead of the actors and put himself in four times. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's how you had that many people. There. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we didn't break lockdown. Gerardo found a place where social distancing was totally possible because it was all destroyed. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he uh, found when he did that, I said, well, there's one technique. Now, if I can come up with five separate ideas of how you could film in lockdown without talking heads, I mean, you can have some, but not lots. If I can work out a way to film in lockdown five different ways so that you've got lots of interesting shots, the movie will uh, be paced, I'll do a feature. Well, I came up with five ideas. I won't tell you the other four. <laughs> Gerardo's is one with the multiple angles. And uh, I thought, right, we can do a feature. So we're actually doing a feature in lockdown. So yes, uh, in one way, I did build myself up to features. I also had a third feature, which is finished. It was uh, ready to go out. And uh, the third one's a documentary called A Night at the Movies, indie style. Oh, wow. The documentary, the main documentary, which is 20 minutes was already filmed. Um, the rest is a lot of the behind scenes footage we've done from films and the, and I went out with Gerardo and we did an intro and an outro. We threw out the idea of having it hosted because the actress I'd had problems with, I thought, well, shit, I really don't want to talk to her at all. Right. So <laughs> they, I mean, not talking about this particular actress and I know it's a sidetrack, but what <laughs> you said that the indie scene is a little village. And it yeah, is. Yeah. Well, what happens when I make a film is I've come into both um, the filmmaking and also the uh, band, the band industry, very much from a mark because I very much with uh, great marketing skills. Because I used to be the editorial cartoonist of the truth. It was a massive tabloid newspaper that went out nationally. So I was, a, I was almost a household name. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah. I was considered like a B or a C or a D list celebrity. And I got to go to the red carpet functions and I, and, uh, I, I chatted with uh, two prime ministers and met all of the people, but that's being in the in the media industry. So when it came to the band, whenever the band was doing a gig, I'd get uh, two articles. Like we, we actually used, we used to have uh, newspapers back then. <laughs> you know, yeah. local newspapers. Oh, I, I remember it. We're, we're not that young. <laughs> we yeah. remember that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, first thing I'd do, if the band was, like I'm in St Kilda, there's a suburb called Footscray in Melbourne. If the band was playing in Footscray, I'd uh, send off the press release to the two local newspapers from Footscray. I'd uh, hop on uh, the phone to the uh, community radio station in Footscray. And I really... 
uh, I'd be out flyering, putting out uh, chunks of 50 uh, A6 size flyers in every sh- every <laughs> shop around Footscray. I, I really understood the marketing. So when I'm doing a short film, you've seen the publicity. Well, these actors who've never seen that before, they, they get onto the film and they get a big head because, you know, they're, they're in this blog, they're in that blog, uh, they're on podcasts, they're on everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't bust anybody's balls by making them go to rehearsals, desk reads, etc. I think, let's just, am I allowed to swear? Yes. Yeah, yeah, hit it. My attitude is... <laughs> Fucking well, get on with it and produce. <laughs> I don't give a shit about your little self-aggrandizing parties, you know, yeah. and uh, and all that shit. I'm not spending time going off to uh, some backslapping party to say, "Hey, we're doing a film." I yeah. don't want to get everybody together for three desk reads so I can stand up there as a producer or a director and address the crowd i'm not interested in all of that narcissistic fucking bullshit i just want to make a movie but people that are used to all of that and have got that narcissistic tendency they get a big head because wow i got 20 blog articles wow i'm on 15 podcasts so i lose uh in four years i've lost a few people that got big heads but yeah, and besides, look, every village has got its idiots. <laughs> well, I, I, had, I had a question lined up, but I think you've already pretty much answered it. I was going to say, <laughs> um, like, do you see a lot of, like, uh, creativity, imaginative creativity coming out of the, the virus and the lockdown as far as, like, creative oh, yeah. ways to film during social distancing or just that, maybe just ideas? But, you know, you've already, you've already pretty much answered it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in this case, the the primary um, idea was Gerardo's. His film, Clink Clunk Kong, and I am calling it his film, um, really, seeing what he did, I mean, I know how he did it after he did it. He actually made another one in lockdown that was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I needed him before the lockdown to watch uh, The Ring. Oh, is that what it's called? The one with Samara? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I said to him, I like these techniques they've done on the ring where Samara comes out of the well and comes out of the TV, right? And uh, I asked him to watch it. Now, I can't remember which film it was for that we were doing it, but um, I had something in mind. That whatever that film was for, it's actually come out now anyway. It's, it's one of the um, six short films that are brought out this year. Gerardo's not one to waste work. He went ahead and he made his own comedy skit on the ring. <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> we got to see uh, that one. <laughs> oh, I, I I'll get you... He's such... Um, he's one of these softly spoken people, so I've never had um, any problems working with him. There's never been any narcissism. So I'm watching this and I'm watching Samara come out of the well and I'm watching every technique from the well working. And then I'm seeing Samara come to confront him. And then at the very end of the film, he's after the credits, he's got some extra scenes where he shows how he did it. Samara is actually him dressed up as Samara. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. 
you can't pick that uh, there isn't an actress there and him as the supposed victim. And wow. I thought, wow. So, I mean, um, yeah, I forgot. It, that blew me away what he did, that I forgot what your question was. Was it ideas in the lockdown? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, create, yeah, yeah. just the way, yeah, any kind of creative ways people have been making films. I, mean, I know a lot of films have just been done, like with Zoom, you know, you know, just like people, you know, on a, the whole movie takes place on, you know, online in a, you know, in a, in a chat room. But I just, I was just wondering about any other ideas that have maybe have come out from it. Oh, yeah. Um, out of curiosity, are all of those dings coming through on your end as people are messaging me on Facebook? Yeah, I can hear it. It's not coming through the computer. It's just coming yeah, through your mic, but you, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Oh, no, because um, <laughs> the uh, conversation that's going on right now that I'm not participating in <laughs> is actually with the film festival. Okay. Oh, awesome. Okay. I won't name it because the press release for this film festival still has to come out. Oh, they've okay. now they've now found that um, that they cannot uh, hold their film festival because of the lockdown, uh, right? Yeah. So so the chat that's going on right now is how uh, we're going to film because uh, we we were going to have a scene done where we get our mass kill scene at a film festival. Oh man. So you're asking about the creative process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got all of those minds, even though I'm not participating, working out how they're going to do that, right? Because wow. they've still got the script and they're going to try to stick with the script. The di I came up with, um, aside from Gerardo's idea, which we're actually using, um, I came up with um, at least uh, four other ideas for... Um, at least four other ideas for how we can actually have a film that is not just talking heads with the film festival though. The idea was that it would be talking heads. It's a podcaster, the, uh, a zoom podcaster talking to somebody at the film festival. Okay. Yeah. And then an attack happens at the film festival. Now an iPhone can actually do HD or HD plus, you know, you're 1080. Mm -hmm. I think some of the new ones can do 4K, which we actually don't need. 4K is more for when you're, um, when you're editing and then you bounce it down to uh, HD after. Right. <laughs> uh, having your podcaster sitting there, you can actually have somebody just holding up the iPhone, filming them from an angle. But uh, the laws in this particular state just changed that uh, you can't have a gathering there. One, one of the ways we're getting around things is because the lockdown laws are different in different countries. Mm -hmm. I made a lot of friends with fellow filmmakers in different countries and said, here's a script. Can you shoot that for me and uh, get that back to that, our guy? There that you is go. smart. No, that's, <laughs> that's excellent. I was so, thinking about that. I was like... You know, I know other people, like you said, other countries have different ways of doing it. So, I mean, that's that's great that you figured that out. That's awesome. Yeah, you could just film in a Walmart up here. There's no special <laughs> difference in there. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's two that's two of our five ideas of how to get around it. And you've seen yeah. the special effects that we've got of the uh, the shooting and the UFOs, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the props that we've got. This film, people aren't going to work out that it ever got shot in lockdown because you won't see 
that anything came up below par. Right. And so um, it's just, nowadays, it's, it's easier to do that. Like you just said, I mean, isn't it crazy, you know, that a phone can do this kind of stuff now? I mean, it's just uh, technology is on, you know, your side on this. It's it's just, it, it still wows me. I know I'm not that that old, but I'm not that young. And when I see how things have progressed like that, I mean, I watched a film the other day that the guy shot it entirely with his iPhone. And I'm like, holy crap, this is just nuts. Have you seen the uh, zombie movie, Colin? No, I have not. I'll tell you this story. You can check it on Wikipedia and you can uh, see the film. Colin is um, a zombie movie shot around the year 2000. The guy that shot the movie had a mini DV camera. It wasn't even the latest mini <laughs> DV camera. And uh, he only used for editing the software, the free software that came with the mini DV camera. Now, that one at Cannes and ended up getting uh, proper uh, distribution um, and was on the big screens, I think 6,000 worldwide. Oh, you know, crap. The guy made millions and millions and only spent 45 pounds. Now... <laughs> What they probably haven't talked about with Colin is how much work he put into pre-production and the fact that he really was very smart with it. Um, what he did was he knew he, he had a lot of, let's see out of the eyes of the zombie. Now, zombie's eyes are glassed over. Yeah. Now, it's not all looking at glassy-eyed stuff. It's not all looking at glassy-eyed stuff, but my point is that... Um, Basically, I'm going to just get Facebook out. So if no, we lose, right? So um, yeah. Oh, and it's still going. Uh, <laughs> hang, on. Yeah. <laughs> hang on. I think I'm out of that altogether because I've got the headphones on. I didn't expect the speakers to be going. Right. Sorry. That's all right. But, but yeah, the trick with that guy that did um, Colin was that uh, he was creative, and he said, "These are my limitations." Every, it's still going regardless. <laughs> he said, these are my limitations. Um, everyone tells me you cannot shoot a feature on DVD. But um, he's proven them wrong because he is creative. Uh, um, I used a mini DV camera when you watch um, the film, um, Darkness, the, the music video, Darkness Visible by Darkness Visible but I only used it for shooting this much of the lead singer's mouth and also for the tombstones and the rest was shot on pro cameras. But uh, when people said this won't be high enough resolution, when it shrunk down to fit into the mouth over the mouth of the tombstone over a tombstone shows you talking and the eyes, you don't have a problem with the resolution because it shrunk down. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the guy that did Colin did. It it looks great. But uh, clever people come up with solutions, and the more you tell them you, they can't do something, the more determined they get. <laughs> and the, the harder the challenges, the more creative and spectacular they get. All right. Um, I hope I pronounced this right, but what, what what's the origin of Count Fungula? Am I pronouncing it right? You are. Okay. Was, <laughs> well, it's Fungula, which is Fungula, actually... Fungula, okay. Yeah. Um, Count, uh, early, uh, 
in my filmmaking after I'd met all of these people in the local film industry. I'm like the little puppy dog, you know, that's like all excited and wants to help everybody. And I'd been going to local film festivals and local movie nights. And I saw so many fantastic short movies that blew me away. Right. And I thought, I would like to help these people get them out because if you go to a film festival, as soon as your film show, and that's for a short filmmaker, pretty much the end of the line. And my first thoughts were, wouldn't it be great if they could come out on DVD? And uh, of course you can't put a short on a DVD. So the idea of a hosted horror show came along. So first thing, um, one of the people I used to speak to at work, um, I don't now because his company's gone under, um, he was basically the guy that was producing most of the uh, lower end DVDs in Australia. So uh, they're all going out into the shops, JMB Hi-Fi, and there'd be a middle maker, uh, a middleman, right? And the middleman might be the releasing company, but the releasing companies were going to him direct. And uh, he'd been doing me a great favour. He was one of my clients. And whenever he would uh, send me DVDs of local feature films that uh, were just brilliant. And I said to him, could we do this? And he started going through all of the costs. And he said, mate, it's going to be money down the drain to get the rating just to go out onto the um, film places, the ratings board is going to charge you a good $1,500. And he said, the mastering will cost this and that. Will... When he went through it, it couldn't be done. So I was ready to throw that in. And uh, the idea of a hosted horror show came up and that it could go out on TV, whether it be uh, on Channel 31 or Channel 44. And it's actually already come out on Channel 44 and places. So um, I came up with the idea of a hosted horror show uh, for TV, but it started with wanting to help all of these people. Count Fungul is still alive, but you know, my experiences over four years in the little villages, you meet some great people, people that are there to help you out no matter what, and you meet the most rotten, vile cunts you could ever imagine. <laughs> I don't mean to be an arsehole, but you do stuff for them that has taken you a lot of time and is only in their favor, doesn't do a thing for you, and they keep messaging you with demands. Over four years, I, it wasn't until a lockdown that I looked back and realized, who is this little piss fart cunt with two little uh, short films out? My IMDb isn't even up to date. They've got a fellow working with me with IMDb to sort out all of the crap because I just kept making movie after movie after movie and not putting them up there, right? It's like, what? I've made 10 music videos. I've actually got two features finished. They're not on IMDb because I only put things up there when it's out. I'm not into the big arrogant thing of putting it up on IMDb saying, hey, everybody, we're going to do a film because IMDb is full of films that never came out that people just put up there with mm -hmm. their great dreams, right. but didn't manage to finish them. It's got actors that have got that they're in 20 upcoming films and of the 20, maybe two will come out. <laughs> so wow. getting back to these little piss farts, I would not want to really, I mean, I am actually doing it again, uh, but I wouldn't really want to. 
I've got one called Up Your Shorts, which is going to be an anthology of um, Australian short, uh, off-the-wall short films. And that will come out on DVD because I found a company that would release it and I got some artwork. But my real feelings inside is, boy, did I get burnt by people I looked up to. And now I've passed them by and they're still running around thinking they're the greatest thing since sliced bread when, <laughs> um, you know, I found that um, my experiences aren't unique by a long shot. As I'm meeting people and working with them internationally, and they've got a lot of stuff done, many of them a lot more than me. So, and I get into chats and I find that they're slandered in their local indie industry like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> oh, man. They, don't, they don't want to go to their local film night because there's uh, 10 jealous filmmakers in there that are running around, blah, 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 behind the back, making up lies and shit and trying to destroy their reputations. And yet, on the international level... We're all working together on anthologies, on co-promotions, a um, whole lot of stuff. So, um, yeah, um, my experiences now that I've been through it weren't unique, but it doesn't make me feel like just doing something for everybody that comes along and everything that I am doing that is done for everybody was actually set up three years ago, for instance, I run the Australian Short Film Network. There's about 11,500 members there. And um, it chews up a lot of time removing all of the spam and making sure there's no fights and making sure that the uh, feed always is of things that are of interest, you know, opportunities for filmmakers and always making sure that if somebody's posting their film saying, look, I need some uh, publicity or I'd like you to give me an evaluation that it's Aussies posting their films, not uh, 10 people from other countries coming in saying, here, I shoved this in your face. You Aussies, you must worship us. It's like we've got one, we've got 22 million people, I think. We're a minority in the whole world and our own TV stations mainly show foreign films, very little Aussie <laughs> content. Our radio stations show play very little local uh, music. So if we've got one little section on Facebook for a group that is there for the promotion of um, Australian films and to find opportunities. I don't consider it's racist for a, a person who is from a country of a billion people calling themselves a minority to go and shove their crap down our throats. So <laughs> I, I put a lot of work into keeping that together and keeping things running. But inside I'm thinking, Boy, the amount of people that uh, stabbed me in the back on the way up is ridiculous. Oh, We've yeah. got um, a blog that comes out that um, gives free publicity for any filmmaker. So they come along and they say, look, um, I'm a filmmaker. Uh, can I have an interview? They get that for free. So we've got a lot of people working volunteers. So in one way, I do more for the local industry than anybody else that I can actually think of because nobody's making money from it or even intimating that they want it. But at the same time, there is that slander and it comes from people that have achieved very little or they're in the industry only to make money. And right. see, you know, that's, I, I think that's one of our main drives for this little show that we do is that we just, we, I, I know myself, I, I love to hear people's stories. I know Carrie does too. And, and to give, you know, a little platform or, or point people in a direction. I mean, we got a little uh, 
you know, a little segment on our show. It's called Tales from Tubi TV. And it's Carrie, you know, he, he watches like independent film from that. And he, you know, says, hey, I enjoyed this. And, you know, or or I know we both share the crap out of these uh, Indiegogo projects or, um, you know, all these indie filmmakers, because it's the same over here. You know, if no one's making a lot of money, they're not going to really talk about it, you know. And that's the sad thing, because I think personal, you know, personally, I think, that's the only creative shit that's coming out anymore. I agree. I agree. Um, just to add to what you're saying, I think what really keeps what you're doing and uh, uh, things going is that the international horror community is unbelievably supportive. It is a beautiful community. And yes, they do have their little shit fights, but uh, not many <laughs> uh, on the, on, on the whole, um, this is a, a fantastic supportive community. So it's really that community that's, that's uh, helped keep me going. Um, so, uh, yeah, on that level, yes. But to take what you're saying and go back in time, and I don't know if this happened in America, but, uh, you know, country fairs? Oh, yeah. We still, we still have them every once in a while, <laughs> especially out here where I'm at. <laughs> well, in every state of Australia, there's like a network of them. So you might have the country fair for um, for a, a place that might be Geelong, and then you might have the country fair for Cooey Rup, and you might have the country fair for Upper Murrumbidgee Boo. Um, and gradually, from there are people that do the circuit of the country fairs with their handcrafts and their pies, and that all comes to a head at the Royal Melbourne Show, which is too big to call a country fair, but it is a country fair. At, when I was a kid, my mum showed dogs, and dog shows were at country fairs. And when I got to those country fairs, there's always a tent. And these tents showed indie movies, oh, underrated wow. indie movies. Oh, wow. And I'd be technically too young to see them, but it's a bit like on Killer Clowns from Outer Space where you've got the big tent and the kids can stick their head under the tent and watch, right? <laughs> I, I'd, I'd be doing that at seven and eight and watching these indie movies. So there actually was a forgotten indie movie scene of Super 8 films wow. and stuff, and they were shown at country fairs. So, And there must, must have been uh, 60 or 70 country fairs, so you'd have these people getting their movie to, to this big network. So they were being seen. Uh, now, for indie movies that were clean, not, not uh, the crazy stuff, <laughs> there was, there's a second network. Uh, one of the biggest stars in the 70s or 80s on the TV was uh, the Leyland Brothers. Uh, we had them on our TV, but I saw them as a kid. The Leyland Brothers was Mike and Mel and their wives, and they used to take their uh, Land Rover all of the way into the bush and they'd go on a, a holiday in the bush for a month and film it. And these were wildlife documentaries on the trees. And, uh, you know, they were like the first Steve Irwin, very wow. much like him. Steve would have known them. And, uh, yeah, their stuff would be showing at the country fairs from memory. But then they did the school circuit. So we'd, we'd be told, we've got a film and it's going to be shown at lunchtime and you've all got to bring five cents into school to pay for the film. So 
there, there were all of these different circuits that they, they might not exist anymore. They might, but uh, things are always changing. So uh, the indie film scene, when it came to those country fairs, these people were not thinking you cannot say that on TV. You can't do that on TV. And to give you an idea of how heavy they can get, also shown in those was the don't drink and drive films from the police. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> those showed the actual car crashes, the oh, bloody yeah. bodies. Um, in in colour, when most of Australia, well, Australian TV was black and white. So, little kid, and you're going, oh! <laughs> And then the next was the VD films. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there'd be all of these young guys who are now just old enough to drink and they'd have their cans of beer. And the next thing you'd be watching them come out of the tent and puking. <laughs> so with that sort of stuff setting the stage, the indie films were no holds barred. Our local indie movie industry um, is not like that. I talk to a lot of people and they, they argue, argue, argue and argue. I tell them about that and uh, they are dreaming about getting onto the TV and the films. So they're actually following rules that technically don't exist because um, if you ever watch it, how things have gone commercially, I just started watching Brave New World, the, um, the series that just came out. Um, I never heard of that one. Ah, well, we can go back to any series. Let's uh, think Game of Thrones, Walking oh, yeah. Dead, okay. Outlander. <laughs> yeah, Outlander too, yeah. They've gone further in the sex, the gore and violence oh, than yeah. the exploitation movies and done it on a big budget. <laughs> mm -hmm. So anybody wanting to sort of lecture me, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's like, boy, read the Bible. You might not like it. You might think it's all crap. <laughs> There's some but, pretty gruesome stuff in there, yeah. Yeah, because a story has to be big. They don't just have a C part. They have a C that's 40-foot tall part. It was great for the Ten Commandments film. You have... Your stories must be big. They must be imaginative. So by indie filmmakers not realizing that this is the wild west of filmmaking and this is where you got to do it, they're, they're not going to make it if they don't realize that because the big places have taken from the exploitation movies and the indie films. Um, originally, it was the Hayes Code that was what was stopping uh, two people from being seen in the same bed. It was the Hayes Code stopping mm -hmm. from a lot. The exploitation movie said, uh, we're just going to bend those rules. Oh, no, we'll just break them. Well, there's no Hayes Code now. Um, the, the top places are basically um, doing what was done 20 years ago. Um, trying to conform to anything is the death of creativity. Right. Yeah. Man, well said. Now, are, are American B-movies big in Australia? Uh, to me, they are. And in the same little scene that I'm in, actually, I'll say yes and no. When you um, make your own B-movie um, and you, let's say it's a short, not a, not a feature, and you put it up in a short film night, what I see happening is people that go to the short film nights, a lot of them, after their movie has shown, the one they're involved in, they get up and they walk out of the place. 
Hmm. So are B-movies big? Yeah, because film nights can be big. The cinema nights can be big. But they're big to the people that are in them. Now, I'm learning from watching other people and, um, and enjoying what they've done and keeping connected with them. And it's a far more exciting scene. So is it big? I don't know how to say it. Maybe I've never understood. the. It's like with the band scene. The same thing happens here as around the world. You had three bands on because you need three bands for a night. The uh, publican, when you book the place, will say, right, I need you to get 80 people in. They've already benchmarked it. They've said the average punter drinks three drinks in a night. So when they say 80, they mean 80 the whole night. So three bands get together and one says, you know, I can get 27 and a half people. The next one says I can get 27 and a half people. When you get your idea together, you say, right, between the three of us, if we're all three promote, we'll get 80 people in. Well, the first band plays and 27 and a half people walk out the door. You don't get that venue back. You get what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we have the same problem that the... uh, the music industry has in that uh yeah it is big but it seems to be people who are self-interested whereas i got into the whole thing by watching everybody else's movies i hadn't made any well i'd made music videos but i hadn't made any and later on i'd only made one or two or three or four and i'm sitting there and i'm going that's fantastic i've got to meet that filmmaker I've got to chat to him but I, you watch the room just uh emptying out film by film by film whoever's got the last film on has got half a dozen people left (laughs) they're kind of screwed yeah all right so tell us about toxic aliens zombie babes from outer space love the title by the way yeah (laughs) love that title (laughs) well as mentioned it's um a feature film being shot in lockdown now the idea is that um uh We've got uh, these toxic alien zombie babes from outer space that have uh, come from Venus to uh, Earth. And it's all happening during the lockdown. So we're not only filming during the lockdown, it takes place during the lockdown. So uh, I've actually divided it into 14 sections. Um, I don't know how much I can say without giving stuff away, but uh, I'm actually covering in it everything that's going on now. So 5G, murder wasps, Greta Thunberg. <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> that, that Secretary General of the, um, of the World Health Organization. Uh, political correctness. Everything that is an issue that is happening now that could be forgotten next year uh, is going to be touched on in one way or another in this film. And I got that idea from a 1972 movie called The Groove Tube. The groove, Have you the seen groove that? Tube, man, yeah. man, it sounds it's familiar. As that. It's got groove Chevy tube. Chase in it. Oh, okay. I, I, man, <laughs> you, I haven't seen that one in a while. I, I, I know it sounds familiar. Well, it's basically an anthology. And, okay. um, well, I've, I watched it... Um, when I was old enough, because it actually does um, get a bit X-rated in spots, but uh, not everything's X-rated, but it's an anthology. And I looked at it and I thought, 
whether they had planned on doing this or not, they're covering all of the issues of 1972. Everything from like those ads that I remember, let your fingers do the walking. They have a skid on it. <coughs> they show up corporate ads. They, the, the, um, the skits somehow, because maybe it just was coincidence that because it was done in 72, that it reflects 1972. But I thought I want to reflect life under lockdown. We're not going to, we, we might not remember murder hornets in a year because people have already forgotten. Right. Um, <laughs> Where'd they go? They've already, <laughs> well, they've already forgotten um, the big panic that went on for a couple of years saying all of the bees are dying. Oh yeah. I remember that. I, think I remember it. Well, I think the new thing now is what the, uh, squirrels having the black plague or something now <laughs> i didn't hear oh. this <laughs> oh no i've brought the black plague up in that one in this too in one of the uh parts. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, it's only mentioned about black plague coming out of china so it's a mention but some things will be bigger and looked into more you know, like toilet paper hoarding. We went into oh, that a bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, was, uh, that, was, that, was that as a big problem in Australia? Yeah, and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I could <laughs> not believe it. People are telling me that this is going on, and I'm thinking, why? But, you know, although it hit the world as a big surprise, it actually taught me something. Um, my grandmother passed away about 25 years ago. I can't remember exactly when... Um, it was probably 30 years ago, but I was very, very, very close to her. I'm just no good at dates. And when she was getting sick and had to be moved to, um, from her granny flat to, um, to uh, an assisted care facility, which was still a flat, everybody's wondering about why the cupboard was full right to the top with toilet paper. And they, they made out like Nan must have been strange. Why did she do that? I've just seen worldwide people do the same thing when they're worried that um, they're not going to be able to get to go outside. They're not going to be able to do things and right. that they're going to be confined inside. My grandmother did that. We didn't understand. Now I've seen it worldwide. It's like that. It, it was actually more strange for my grandma. She grew up. Um, she remembered the great depression and uh, she yeah. knew how to cut the, um, the newspapers up and scrunch them and get them together a whole lots of bits so you got toilet paper when you don't have toilet paper and she still yeah, ran and off and bought packs so my, uh, my my grandfather he uh he's still he's still around he's my only grand uh, grandparent lab but he uh he went and uh he he has a bunch of canned goods i mean he just went crazy and buying water and stuff and this was during uh y2k and everybody's oh, like, yeah. And, 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 yeah, that long ago. And everybody's like, well, why is he doing this and all this? But, you know, he was, you know, a kid and his parents went through the Great Depression. They, they would share stories about it. So, you know, his mindset was, you know, like, oh, crap, something's going down, you know. And he was just trying to be extra prepared for it. I don't know why everybody went and bought toilet paper up because <laughs> I'll use a water hose outside. I don't give a shit, but <laughs> I'm not going to go, but someone, uh, you know what I mean? I, I get what you're saying. You know, that mindset, yeah. like, Oh crap, we better have this because if we don't, it's not going to be there. 
I stocked up in Y2K. I didn't do the toilet paper, but I'm glad you mentioned that. Y2K is one that most people have forgotten about now. Yeah. So I'm hoping to capture all of this into the 90 minutes, but not make it central to the storyline because it's not. It, I just uh, put down a checklist of when I was doing various skits, how can I build this into that skit? How can I build that into another skit? Uh, how can I build it all in? So that by the time we get to the end of it, all of the major issues of today are on it. Now, if we, it, it's probably going to take, for, according to Gerardo, four to five months till uh, we've actually released it. And he was just thinking of the editing. I'm looking at getting the footage in now saying, my God, people haven't been that quick to get the footage in um, for how much should have come back and been filmed yet. So I'm going to have a lot of chasing in that. So five months is not an unreasonable estimate. We could be out of lockdown in five months. This oh, would yeah. be a bit, in a way, one element of it for people seeing it just as it comes out is almost like when you watch the New Year's Eve um, uh, TV and they say, this is all of the things that happened during the year. And you go, right. oh, my God, I remember that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that, that's one little element that um, I hope to uh, capture everything as much as I can that's happening right now, the stuff that will be forgotten. Right. Now, um, what was I going to say there? Um, I've seen some of the test footage you're releasing. Um, who, who's doing your special effects? Is that, and then what, what are you using for that? Ah. There's a team of three on the special effects. Gerardo is the main person. Uh, there's Andrew Bianco and there's Fabio Segatori. Uh, but that, um, and that's on three from a team that was originally going to be four. I had one guy duck out saying, I need storyboards. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's one of the, my best editors and a great guy. Right. And I thought, I do hope he comes back on board later on. But um, I've also reached out to other people that have done special effects that are in a similar vein because um, I think we're going to need to get it up to a team of five because what you're seeing is, say, the flying saucer, you're seeing mm -hmm. a person shooting and you're seeing a laser beam and you're seeing right. an explosion. The reason why I said that's just test footage is because what you're not seeing is all of the bits of the flying saucer flying out. You're not seeing... Right. Uh, you're not seeing the gun... Um, glow and shake and uh, all of the bits winding around that laser beam. So there's a lot of work in, to go in the special effects. That really is test footage at, um, at a very basic level. Right, right. Well, and I, I do think that little short, I know we talked about it, the, the, the clink, clink uh, clock mm. short that I saw. Now, uh, was there any kind of, uh, it, it kind of reminds me of, and we talked about this movie on a previous episode. We kind of covered it, uh, They Live. But then there's also another movie. It's called uh, Future Schlock. Was there any kind of thing, you know, uh, drawn from that? Saying, you uh, know, because uh, I, I kind of got that feel. I'm not saying that that's what it was based off of. I'm just saying I got that feel from it. That's why it spoke to me. Uh, I had um, something slightly different in mind. Oh, Okay. Uh, <laughs> Well, for starters, I knew that we were moving towards lockdown so okay. that uh, we had to keep um, the film crew to the minimum and uh, keep the actors to a minimum. And the uh, laws, just as it was coming in, was that you're allowed to have five people together as long as they weren't close. So I said, right, 
we're not going to have a soundy. So I need to do um, uh, basically a narrated video. So um, I've got, I think, two narrated videos already. And so I thought we can live with a narrated video. I'll write this for five people. And I was pretty down about what was going on. And I asked myself, how did we get here? And when I was a cartoonist, you know how actors like Roddy McDowell's just come out and said, I don't remember most of the films I was ever yeah, on. Yeah, I saw that clip. <laughs> I was like, huh? <laughs> oh, I can get back to that and explain why. Because another actor talked to me about it, a guy from his era. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I was, I was kind of like, man, you, you've been in some iconic stuff, man. <laughs> okay. Actually, it will, it will hook in with this, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was talking to another actor and he is famous. Um, I don't want to mention him because I didn't ask his permission to bring him up in a movie, but okay. I was, I was interviewing him for um, a blog I was doing Oz Indie Cinema. And I don't know if I put this bit into the interview, but uh, he said to me, because uh, we were talking about a particular film, he said to me, you know, I just flew in to do that film uh, we were on the set for three weeks and then we flew out. And the only reason I actually got to see it was it was three films later and I happened to be in a particular city and I saw that my film was showing at the cinema. So I went to it and it dawned on me because he's making a living, he's flying in, flying out to the next set. They don't, they didn't have digital now. So it's not like you could be shown bits and pieces or anything. You just flying into one set, to the next set, to the next set, whatever your agent has found you. If you, you're lucky, if you just happen to be in the right place at the right time and go, oh my God, I filmed that a year ago and it's on the, the um, cinema. <laughs> and other times you go, oh my God, I filmed that a year ago, it's on at the cinema and I've actually got to be on the plane to the next film. So they wow. would have just, this whole thing to make a living just would have been a blur. Now for me as a cartoonist, there's a lot that was a blur. A lot of it where people saw the big cartoons that went out uh, nationally, and there were lots of them, more time was spent doing layout and paste up on small magazines. And I'd be stuck for 10 hours. And I worked for a communist organization at one point. And every cliche you've ever heard about the far left uh, was correct. You know, from commie fronts to the characters, etc. And I work for a guy that I absolutely love. And uh, he's dead now. You know, he died 30 years ago. And uh, he used to teach me the history of the communists. And in clink, clunk, clonk, when I said, where did it all start? That was one of his lectures with me. Started with the Industrial Revolution. It, oh, wow. it would, yeah. He'd say to me, um, there were free men and they would burn their farms to force them to the cities. And I'd get these lectures that would, like I'm sitting down with the metal ruler and the scalpel cutting out all of the type that's going to be stuck down in the paper. And there with uh, what the, the, the hand waxes, you know, that heated up the wax. And I got this guy over the shoulder. He go, Barkledean. I go, fuck, you almost uh, ripped my fingers off with that. I go, Barkledean was important because you know what happened at Barkledean? And do you know about the great Shearer's strikes, mate? 
nah, you wouldn't. You're just a little piss fart, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, I'd get his lectures. And then I thought, okay, um, I, I can see what he was saying. I'm not far leftist, by the way. Um, I'm neither left nor right. So I end up in trouble with everybody with uh, the current cancer <laughs> culture <laughs> and political correctness. I was brought up to look at an actual thing that's happened, right? So it, it doesn't matter what it is. And then to apply my own moral compass. Now, if you're part of the far left or you're part of the far right, you're brought up to absorb all of the issues. And I was around them all when I was with the uh, Communist Party. And none of them ever accepted that I wasn't a communist because they just saw what they wanted to see. They go, that was a fantastic cartoon you did, Dave. And I'd say, yeah, but Duncan told me what to draw. Say, comrade, <laughs> you're fantastic. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've lost track in, I'm, I'm becoming Grandpa Simpson and I've lost track in what <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, but, oh, I mean, you wanted to know about it. Um, basically, I really did apply um, the uh, far left ideas to today, um, as um, Duncan used to tell me. Now, I didn't do it in his voice because I grew up with a lot of Holocaust survivors and they wow. used to, some of them were nice, some of them were nasty. They were all put on a pedestal, right, as if they were, like I'm Jewish and in the Jewish community, they were put on a pedestal like they're the super Jews, the reality is there were a few super Jews, but uh, the majority, you don't go through trauma and don't come out traumatized. So the, there were a lot that um, the eyes would glaze over and they'd be back in the Holocaust and they were absolutely dangerous. Um, oh, there's when a lot, but anyway, getting back to it and getting back to the nice ones, they had accents. I managed to pick up the accent and the feeling and the tone of the Holocaust survivor saying, David, I have story to tell you. Back, you know, the, the Nazis came, they smashed into my place, they killed my mother, they killed my brother, they killed my sister. And I'm thinking of them and thinking, um, once the anger's over, the how solemn and how they're talking about how prejudice is bad. I was brought up never to be prejudiced. And if I am prejudiced because I have a cognitive bias that didn't see it, I apologize now <laughs> ahead before I get hit by the cancel culture. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in my heart, um, I was brought up with, this is what prejudice leads to, right? And I, had that voice and I had that feeling. And then I remember Duncan talking about the uh, destruction uh, of the West and uh, how it all started where things were bopping along okay with farmers and they would take their goods to the cities. And then the industrial revolution comes along and there aren't enough people um, in the cities for the factories. So uh, the equivalent of troopers go out and burn their land. So they've got no choice. And wow. that actual um, narration um, actually follows the whole bit to Brave New World of all things. <laughs> I mentioned Brave New World before. Um, my take on Brave New World is that all information becomes available, but nobody is interested in it. It's, uh, it's about today. Um, the book, it, 
you know, a lot of people think uh, George Orwell's world of 1984 was coming along. Well, George Orwell wrote that and knew about Nazis and knew about communists who, you know, Nazis and knew about uh, the USSR, which both ran dictatorships and did erase people from history and uh, did have their Goldstein set up as an enemy. But what in reality has happened is that you've got all the information you want at the uh, touch of a button. You can go to Wikipedia, you can go research anything. Anyone with the craziest conspiracy theory can put it up on online and you can find it. But we're in the age of influences where the person with 5 billion followers is talking about, I got the latest lipstick. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about... You, so clink, clink, clunk, clonk is about <laughs> nobody cares. They have lost their soul in this soulless machine and this machine starts being built by people being burnt off of their lands and forced into cities that become polluted. People think about polluted today. The pollution that I've actually mentioned in that, in my head, even though it doesn't come out in the poem, was the smog of London. Right. There were so many people burning fossil fuels in London in the 1800s that the term smog, which is smoke and fog combined, was created. Um, I think it's some, somewhere on Wikipedia. I can't remember the year, but there was something like two years that people didn't see the sun. Holy crap. <laughs> Pollution's yeah. not new, but yeah, yeah, that whole clink, clunk, clonk had those elements going through it. When I did write it, I did go to Wikipedia and look up smog again and did double check about the industrial revolution. So even though it's a line, I made sure that the line is correct according to the information that's out there. All right. All right. Um, so I'm definitely going to have to look up a lot of your, I got, I got, <laughs> yeah. I got to find a lot of your, I was trying to find some, I couldn't find any of, your, any of your short films. I didn't know where to, cause I didn't know where to find them at. Um, or, I didn't know if they were on YouTube or. Yeah. YouTube. Oh, yeah. I'll get you my YouTube channel. Okay. That's no okay. problem. I've got them all there. I've been trying to get them out on any VOD site, anywhere that wants them and just give them to everybody for free. Um, because as far as I'm concerned, everything that was shot in the past is public domain because they were done volunteer. So the people coming onto them said that they wanted to, uh, well, get, get some experience, but they wanted them out there so that they could show them. Right. Now, a lot of, a lot of indie filmmakers get, um, locally get very precious. So they say I'm making a short, but then they think they can actually sell it. It's like, yeah, I'm not uh, going to, I don't go to the back of people's couches for nickels and dimes. I'm not interested in selling it. So they, they limit the actors that are in it and don't let them have footage for the show reels. The actors can't say I was on this here. You can go see it. I thought, no, these people want their stuff to be seen. It's me to get it out everywhere possible. It's free. When I've built a name and have a value, now, I could either make money from the film next after that, or I'm more likely to make it in another way. It could be, David, you're the big star of um, Toxic Alien Zombie Babes from Outer Space, and I'm not actually, Vixie is, but I'm one of the stars. I say, 
boy, can you come along and um, do a speech to for the opening of uh, our brand new car launch and we'll give you 14,000. Build a name and you get your money that way. Mo many, many businesses don't make their money from their main product. For instance, uh, McDonald's Corporation doesn't make much money from the food. They make it from the rent. Yeah, They're basically yeah. a real estate company. Cinemas don't make much of their money from the uh, ticket price. They make it from the food. Right. So they're a food company. Actors have got to realise that when they look at the stars of, say, The Walking Dead and uh, big films like that, the, guy, the stars of The Walking Dead, the star stars, not the extra, they make more money from appearances at conventions mm -hmm. than they do for a whole year for a series of The Walking Dead. So a lot of people that are talking to me and saying, oh, I want this, I want that, and I want the other, it's like, boy, you think I'm a dickhead with the stuff I'm saying and you will not go and research it. That's not how it works. So, uh, yes, you might make some money from being on the movie set. I'm not looking to make it that way. I accept that uh, I've accepted for a long time that money comes a different way. When I was a cartoonist, I did a cartoon strip. And uh, when I got told, and this is back around 82, 83, 84, that um, I think it was uh, Hagar the Horrible, the guy that was doing that was making something like 100 million a year. And the guy that did Peanuts, oh, it was Charles Schultz, I think yeah. he was making 100 million. The guy that did Hagar was something like 50 million. And there's this great big um, article in, in a blog, <laughs> well, the equivalent of a blog, a fanzine, where it showed the earnings. And um, I wanted to sell my cartoon strip. And the biggest uh, syndicator in Australia said, Dave, the way we make the money is the cartoon strip might go into the main paper in Sydney, right? You're only getting a few bob back from that. What happens is because most people in Sydney are reading the newspapers, they now see your cartoon and we merchandise. That hundred million comes mainly from merchandising. We can now sell lunch boxes with the cartoon character on it. We can sell t-shirts. There'll be a show bag at the Royal show. There will be all of these things. Wherever we don't get a cartoon strip in that uh, main paper, in that particular state, you won't get sales. But everywhere you get it. So the cartoon strip, you're not really going to get much money from it. You won't make a weekly living. But as soon as you get into a state and the merchandising starts, big bucks come through. So cartoonists don't get paid. A cartoon strip cartoonist wasn't really getting paid for doing a cartoon strip. Understood immediately that you don't necessarily make money from what your main business is. I work in the photocopier industry. And when those little bubble jet uh, printers came in, um, and they had a, a scanner on it and a fax and uh, they could photocopy and they could print. Anyone could afford to buy one. Wait until you go to change the first set of cartridges that runs yeah. out after 25 <laughs> pages. Yeah, $45, you know, maybe 50, maybe more. Yeah, and that was for the, uh, the multifunction device that cost you $75 uh, came with starter cartridges that are <laughs> half the normal amount. 
and then 60 bucks for a set of cartridges. So the, you, you think that the people that are selling the uh, photocopier, the, the small end, not the big end, are selling a photocopier. They weren't. They're selling ink. The people selling the big laser ones, right? Yeah. They're not. People say, how the hell can you be selling those? They go down in value each year. You're not <laughs> selling that. You are selling two products. You are selling finance because it gets finance when people use finance when they're spending over five grand and you're selling service maintenance because somebody's got to keep the bloody thing running. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been, I'm willing to accept that as an actor, I might not make a living from acting. So those people that say, why are you giving away your films? It's like, well, gee, that short film has just been shown on 30 TV stations across the USA to in Australia. It's been shown here. This isn't the uh, market saturation I need to build a value. But for those who stick with me that don't get big heads because they've got one blog article, when we get to not me being in a blog once a week that has a uh, hundred readers, but uh, us, I'll say us, because I don't think I could do this on my own. I do need friends. But uh, if my group, those that I work with, get to a point where we're in 500 blogs and some of them have got a million readers, someone will say, say to Vixie, oh, we love the wig you wore in that. I don't know if she's wearing a wig, by the way. We love the wig you wore in it. We like the, uh, the silver metal bra. There will be a Vixie line of uh, black dresses, metal bras, uh, etc. And like the uh, influencer that uh, with 4 million followers that holds up a lipstick that gets paid uh, $20,000 for um, just to post saying she's using that on um, Instagram and a percentage for everybody that uses the code, the people working with me will end up um, being able to make a living if we're successful, but they're gonna have to work hard. They're gonna have to really act well so that we put a scene out there, somebody goes, that was mind blowing. It, it sticks in their mind. I have to write well. Gerardo is very clever with the way he is filming and editing. We have to keep rising to new occasions and getting better, better and better because there are people behind me that are actually watching me saying, I think I'm working out what he's doing. <laughs> Whatever I've just done, they're now doing. And if they put more work in it, they're going to end up doing it better than me. The world doesn't stand still. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> you've got to get new ideas. You've got to get, um, you've got to, hone your skills. You have to keep bringing in new ideas. You can't be the people that um, in the local indie movie industry that won't take risks. You've got to be the crazy people that put their eight millimeter films in the tents because who caught up to the indie industry? Game of Thrones. Those actors, I think the top 10 were all getting a million each either per season or per episode. Wow. It was in that millions. So you can't stand still. Um, the films will always, every film made up to date will always be for free. I've got a feeling we're just going to be putting this one out for free too, the, uh, a feature. 
Okay, and just you're gonna re- just on your YouTube channel or? Uh, not sure. Um, I mean, I, eventually, I want to put everything onto YouTube, um, but uh, I'm not even relying on YouTube. Social media companies have changed. When I was in a band and I was on MySpace, I had 80,000 followers for the band and everything was booked through MySpace and MySpace fell overnight. Now, people are saying, well, I don't think Twitter's going to fall overnight. I've got 20,000 followers there. I don't think YouTube's (laughs) going to fall overnight. But they changed their algorithms. Nobody is talking about this. It's like nobody remembers, but I remember social media bosses they came out and they made statements that they were one of us, not the billionaires that are standing up there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> These social media bosses were one of us. And they said, nobody's going to be saying no to you anymore because what was happening at the time is if you were a filmmaker and you lived in Melbourne or it could have been Sydney or it could have been New York, there's only three, four outlets. And if somebody said no to you, it was no. And you could come back six months later. It was no. Suddenly you had an online platform. They wanted you. They were going to support you. They showed you people that made it like Justin Bieber put something up on MySpace. Next thing, Justin Bieber's a star. Now they say, we've got market saturation. We want to Mm -hmm. go mainstream. And it's like, they will kill your YouTube channel like that with your 2 million followers. They already nerfed the algorithms. And one crazy woman called Nizreen went around and shot the crap out of the uh, place. Wrong. I'm not laughing at it, but I'm saying only one person actually thought to do it with uh, thousands of us actually hurt. Um, No, they just turned around and pretended like they'd never said any of this stuff. Nobody's reminding them. So the YouTube channel, like everything else, could be temporary. Once upon a time, the place to distribute was in a tent at a country fair. Later on, it was was community TV. We almost lost our community TV channel, Channel 31 in Melbourne, um, on the 30th of June. They were going to pull the bandwidth. They've threatened to do it every year on the 30th of June. They have a reprieve now, which might be one year, might be two years, but they will lose that bandwidth eventually. Community TV, things will move on. Everything always moves on. So you mentioned YouTube. Yeah, I'd like to put it on YouTube. Um, The only way to really survive is to put it on everything that exists that will take it everywhere, anywhere, because you don't know what the next medium is going to be. Did Did you ever read a book called The Medium is the Message? No. No. I'm going to get my dates wrong and the names wrong. The fellow that put that out, put it out like in the 1950s. He actually puts formulas in there where he actually talks about the days we're in today, like as if, you know, this fellow just saw it. And uh, he's basically saying, giving formulas like, um, like how many people can see something and how many, just, Oh, I'm getting tongue tied, but the guy actually did predict that this day is coming. And if everything changed tomorrow, he still predicted it because he's put the formulas in for how things change and where they change and why they change. And this is a bloke um, before ARPANET, the, uh, the forerunner to internet started, right. he's already talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so basically I'm saying the, um, the medium that we're going out on 
could change in six months, 12 months, five years. Right. So, yeah. but I'm also saying things are not what they seem. The way you make your money might not be from what your main product is. So, yeah, I am sort of thinking a little bit differently. Maybe I sound like a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, no, you got me interested, man. I'm listening to everything you're saying, and it's it's true. It really is. I like how you referred to the the tent at a you know a country fair. You know that's you where it all them? started. It actually started in tents, but um, even before that. Actually, no, um, maybe it did because the first Nickelodeons and the first Magic Lantern shows were at country fairs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But what that country fair represents is a place where a large number of people have gathered together. So YouTube is one of the biggest social media, um, one of the biggest outlets on the internet today and over a third of the world goes to the internet. It is the main gathering place for today. But the main gathering place um, a few years back uh, when um, all of these social media magnates were pretending they were one of the common people and they were in it for us. (laughs) Well, the main place was TV. And you couldn't get your stuff on TV. So you weren't Mm -hmm. seen. And they said, here, here's the alternative. Nowadays, they're pulling your stuff. The people that were the content creators that helped make YouTube, helped make Facebook, helped make all of them, they started saying, oh, we're pulling the stuff because they make their money from advertising. Well, actually, we thought they did until um, Cambridge Analytica and we realised they made their money from selling information. (laughs) 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 But, uh, yeah, basically, people don't necessarily make their money from their main product, but they make it from what's called the attention economy. So basically what I'm, I'm not, it's not the medium. It's not the cinema. It's not the TV. It's not YouTube. It's how much time someone will put into watching you. So you better have a damn good product if you're going to right. put it out because <laughs> <laughs> they were less likely to walk out of the cinema because they're afraid everybody would notice. And you notice that in a bad film, as soon as the one person walks out, everybody feels like, yeah, I can walk out now. You know? Yeah. <laughs> the cinema had a pressure on you to stay right. and you'd spent money. The internet has no pressure whatsoever mm-hmm. and they can swipe on past you after 10 seconds because they thought you were absolute crap. <laughs> but but uh, the real thing that um, we're doing, it's about attention. Now, if I can get people's attention, and now it makes me sound like a narcissist, but I'm talking about a product, right? Um, If I can get people's attention because I became a star, Vixie became a star, Glenn became a star, somebody that needs that attention uh, will pay you for the bums on seats you get, like the band could do. And it could be to cut a ribbon um, at a car show. Now, do you remember Jane Mansfield? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I watched the Jane Mansfield story with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, a man who I greatly admire. And uh, I also read up, uh, I watched a documentary on her. This is all just three weeks ago. Um, and what I picked up was Jane Mansfield, for starters, she had an IQ of 160. Uh, I think it might have been 162. So you're talking super intelligent. 
She could speak five languages fluently. She could, she could play um, a few instruments to professional level. Uh, So this is a, a super talented woman, right? She's remembered as being the blonde bimbo that imitated Marilyn Monroe. She wanted to be a serious actress. Now, um, when she uh, finally signed up with the studio, um, so, well, actually, in order to sign up with the studio, before she even got there, she pulled a publicity stunt. She was a plus one at a Hollywood event. So she went with a bikini that was too small. And she purposely by accident, fell into the pool and her top comes up and everybody sees the top come to the surface and she makes a big fuss. So they all are looking at her going, ah, ah, my top <laughs> fell off. And, <laughs> and every reporter is there because it's a big Hollywood thing, but she steals the limelight. And they've got pictures of her getting up out of the water. So you see her full back. So you know she's topless. It's a picture you could show in the paper, but still risky at the time. And the people holding up towels to help her. She pulled publicity stunts constantly. That got her signed at a movie studio. When the movie studio wouldn't give her the role she wanted, um, you know, and they're just putting her in crappy shit ones, she had pulled so many stunts that she was making more money from cutting the ribbon on a card than uh, the big actors were getting for doing a a film that they had to spend two months on set. (laughs) And she spent one evening um, to launch the latest car. Um, She actually would have gotten what she wanted if she hadn't died young. But I thought, if somebody has done this successfully and they had an IQ of 160, I think their idea is spot on. And I'm seeing people that have no talent. This woman was talented, but I'm seeing people of no talented listed by Forbes of the, in the uh, 20 highest uh, in paid influencers. I'm not right. saying I want to become an influencer. I don't want to be known as being a dickhead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to be a dickhead, which I might be, but I don't have to be known for it. <laughs> but yeah, the idea is, the idea is really get the names out there, get people to knowing me and the people um, who are giving me their time. I'm investing back in them, trying to get them publicity, get them well known and we will find our ways of making money, but I'm actually prepared to give the feature movie away for free. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Toxic yeah, alien, zombie babes yeah. from outer space. Uh, I think it's interesting the way you're going to put like what's going on now in the movie. Cause I feel like, and I feel like in five years, someone's going to do the big Hollywood, you know, this is what happened during coronavirus. So it's nice that you're going to do it now while it's actually happening. It's going you know, to be kind of fun to kind of watch it as soon as everything's over with. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? So well, uh, all of the people in it are going through it. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be, the, yeah, it's going to be like a, almost like a documentary type film <laughs> yeah it won't, won't be one of those ones with uh, little problems like they have the roman legions coming out and you notice that uh, one of the guys is wearing a wristwatch yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i'm looking forward to it um like i said you, you think it's probably about like five more months is what you said before you're before it's completed i'm hoping sooner but i think gerardo's right 
Um, even though I'm looking to get him extras, extra people in the team to help with editing and special effects, I'm looking at how we're getting the footage in now and realising it's not as simple as a thought because we're going to probably end up with some of these uh, shoots going on Zoom now so that I can see into the room or Gerardo can see into the room and actually direct them. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, on a set, when Gerardo's the director on a set, he is the director, but because I'm the writer, I, I can coach and say what the uh, emotions are. Me handing the script out and expecting it to come back, you know, quite often the first take on a set is absolutely terrible. And, you know, the person does it again and again. And by the third take, it's really setting in with what's happening with the person they're there. And that's when they really start to become. And it's like, oh, my God, she's dead. <laughs> and you got that appointment. What I've got at the moment is, oh, my God. She is dead. <laughs> so getting the footage back and everything. <laughs> I, I'm learning what the challenges are because nobody ever, it was one of those things that I couldn't read about to find out what's, what's happening because we're all going through it brand new all at the same time. So I'm finding out, <laughs> I'm finding out what problem, I thought the problems were going to be uh, color matching and matching lots of different uh, footage right. and uh, getting in sound cleanups and, uh, so much of that that uh, is going to be necessary anyway. I'm finding that there's other problems there too. So, yeah, uh, every problem chews up time. So, yeah, we're saying five months. I want it out earlier, but oh, I'm sounding smart arsey by saying this, but we can only just sit through it and work through it and see when it comes out. We just, we're in such a new, unique situation that the normal time estimations are all out the window. Right, yeah. Well, I, would, I would say don't rush it if, if you can make it better. You know what I'm saying? If it's, in this if it, case, if you need five months, take five months. <laughs> oh, we don't have to rush it because um, I've actually got um, the previous feature film with only three days shooting left, and it's actually it actually is completed with the bad footage in that we're going to pull out. So it's actually all edited up to reshoot those two to three days, edit them and put them in. It's just uh, a few weeks. So we can actually stop work on that, go back to badass bunyip, finish that off, bung it out and then go back to working on this. If it's going to take another two months, three months, so we can keep the ball rolling just by putting this on hold for a couple of weeks, finishing up the other feature. Right. Uh, Aaron, you got, you got anything to you want to add to oh, it? Oh man, I, I've just uh, I, I've gotten quite a bit of an education. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed talking. I mean, I could I, I really could talk to you for like another two hours or so <laughs> because uh, there's so much that you've done. Uh, I, I admire it. Um, I've enjoyed what I've seen. I I look forward to catching everything else. And I actually need uh, to find out where I can listen to your your band as well because I want to hear the music as well. Well, I've got um, 10 music videos up there. That only okay. cuts out about uh, alter alternative versions of some songs and maybe four songs that didn't get off, six songs that didn't get music uh, videos. But uh, they're all jotted through on the uh, on the YouTube. Well, I, I will be checking them out. David, it's been awesome. I mean, uh, I, I know I would love to have you again. Come on. Uh, we had an awesome roundtable with 
two directors and we'd love to have you on a round table kind of discussion on a, on a movie. So yeah, I, uh, Oh, uh, I'll be the guy here, man. I'll be the guy that uh, actually pisses them all off. (laughs) (laughs) I've been up on panels where uh, things are being discussed (laughs) and most people are still in the idea, the idea that you put stuff into a film festival and it's like, yes, in 1972, there were eight or nine film festivals and buyers went to them. It was much harder to put out a film. So there were less films coming out. So Roger Corbin could put out a film and put it at a film festival and find a buyer. There are 8,000 film festivals out nowadays. Uh, many of them ask too much. First, you shouldn't pay to go into a film festival. That's my opinion. Second, uh, the amount of people that are going to see it at a film festival are very few. If you're using it as uh, a de facto uh, screening of your film on a big screen, then not only have the film festivals gone, but cinema is going through another readjustment. We're not going to come out of this with 6,000 cinemas. People have just been trained for VOD. Right. Cinema won't die like newspapers won't die. Newspapers didn't die when radio came along and radio didn't die when TV came along. But cinema is going to go through a a readjustment. So they've all got their minds in systems that once worked that don't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And they're going to say to me, well, David, you just said that the uh, cinema is a fast food restaurant. You're a bloody idiot. <laughs> you know, oh, David, you just said that McDonald's Corporation is a real estate company. So who's Ronald McDonald and what are hamburgers? Man, people don't get their heads around this stuff. Yeah. And I'm going to be sitting there with a whole bunch of directors that are going to say, man, you're a bloody idiot. <laughs> If I ever make it, what they're going to say is that I got lucky because I was a dickhead that couldn't understand how the world works. Uh, but, I, I think but, you understand. Yeah, <laughs> I think you've got a good grip. you got on a good grip on that, man. It's true. Yeah. I'll be the guy that upsets your filmmakers. <laughs> I'd love to be there, though, because, <laughs> you know, nothing grows without a bit of tension. Right, they talk, yeah. They talk about a spider or a crab. They go through a lot of pain before they molt that shell. And then a bigger one comes out. And unfortunately, that's how some of nature is programmed. So, you know, we get attached to our lifestyles, what we're doing and what we think works. And it's quite comfortable. And we base our identity on our abilities to actually achieve according to that. And then the world, as it always does, changes. And, uh, we either go through pain facing that and uh, rebuilding, remaking ourselves, new marketing plans, or we die. Right. All right. Well, before we get off here, we're going to let you uh, just go ahead and give all your information, where people can find you, where people can find your your shorts, your music, whatever you want to give us here. Oh, can I get you a YouTube uh, link later? Um, oh, for to, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can send it to me. I'll yeah. put it. I'll put in the links here. Yeah, because it giving uh, verbally giving um, numbers and letters. <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah, doesn't seem to work <laughs> unless the link is there hyperlinked and the person only needs to click. They're just not going to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can do that for sure, yeah. man. Yeah, but if, I'll, but, I'll put, 
but, but if anybody wants to find you, like you're on Facebook, right? I'm on Facebook, but um, I'm using Facebook. Facebook's limited to 5,000 friends. Mm -hmm. I really preferring to keep that to the real life friends and family that you, you can't get away from. Right. Uh, and then the rest, <laughs> the rest is um, to the people that I'm working with so I can connect with them, create multiple chats. So I actually gotcha. don't want um, uh, thousands of fans, um, you know, going to it. I haven't created um, a, uh, a fan page or anything because I didn't just lose a MySpace page. I've already lost two um, Facebook pages. Oh, yeah. oh wow. <laughs> you know, they'll, be up, they'll be up at 5,000 friends. You've got 30 projects going, 200 chats going, and then you find you're locked out. Yeah. And you cannot get back in. This is another thing happening, not just to me, but lots of people. Oh, and, yeah. I've seen and it. They'll be posting to Facebook saying, I just lost my YouTube channel. I just got my Instagram account uh, banned. <laughs> So it's another thing that I'm actually putting into the movie because it's more of a this year thing. Last year, everyone was um, throwing accusations back at whoever got kicked up the bum by a social media channel saying, right. oh, but you must have done something wrong. <laughs> now that it, nowadays it's saying, oh, no, it's happening to everybody. Yeah. But you do so, have a, uh, there's a Facebook page for toxic alien zombie babes from outer space. There is. Okay. I, I, okay. I put that up a few days ago because I thought, well, look, whether it's there or it's not, at least it'll be there for the short term before I lose it. So if we can hold that during the time that we're promoting, the press can also use that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, awesome. so, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you I'll that put link. Links. Too. I'll put links to all that in the show. Um, awesome. Again, thanks for, uh, thanks for getting up early to uh yeah to come you know, come it, it's weird that it's like 10 30 here and it's what 9 30 in the morning there <laughs> oh no it's mid-afternoon we got okay. our time from <laughs> yeah. that's why that's why i was just pestering you in the chat saying how long till we go <laughs> yeah because as soon as you told me last night it was 12 hours i knew i didn't have to be up at six in the morning right yeah it's so, always good <laughs> so so i i preferred it, with all of the podcasts to be a bit of a pest and say how many hours and double check that way rather than go to the time converter in case that's wrong. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, like I said, I appreciate you getting up early and uh, joining us. This was a very entertaining uh, episode and I'm looking forward to uh, toxic alien zombie babes from outer space. Did you want to talk to the whole crew on it? The main crew? Um, we can probably work something out have them come back on. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely, I'll, man. I'll message Vixie, Anastasia, and Glenn. And, yep, you can organize to have them come on and talk about it because this is so different. See, I, I can't talk to Vixie in person. She's in New South Wales, and I can't see Glenn because we're in lockdown, and I can't see Anastasia. So, for once, we're not all on the same page. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be like... That's everybody, like, man. <laughs> yeah. It'll be like... It'll be an interesting chat. I'll learn from them what they're saying. There you <laughs> right, go. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would love to do that. We can definitely make that happen. Yeah. And again, yeah, thanks for joining us, man. Oh, thank you for having me on. Get you, Barbara. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. The unburied dead are coming back to life.